0: Um, If you've been here for for the past few weeks, you know that we are in a series called This Is Us. We sat down as a staff. We decided let's look at a passage of Scripture where God takes ordinary people and they have their own flaws, they have their own things that they're going through. Some of them have character flaws, some of them have morality issues, but God says, I'm gonna choose you. And these people respond by putting their faith in God. And when they do that, when they put their faith in God, God does some tremendous things in their lives and in the lives around them. So this morning, we're gonna talk about how you and I can relate to those stories. But before we get into that, I gotta tell you a little bit more about myself. I have just discovered something about me after 26 years of living. I have just discovered something about myself. Um, we, some of you have worked for businesses, some of you work for companies and you have taken something called a personality test. Here as a staff, we decided to do the same thing. There's many of them out there, but one that is getting a lot of traction right now is called the Enneagram. Some of you may have heard the Enneagram before. Um, And so I am taking this personality test. And this past week, I have learned, if you have not picked up on it already, I am a bona fide number seven. It gives a nine numbers that you've a category that you fall into. And the number seven is called the enthusiast. And I fall under the category of a number seven. Can I share with you how cool a number seven is? I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to do it anyway. A number seven, look at some of the characteristics of a number seven. Optimistic, lives for adventure, spontaneous. Words I wouldn't even use in my own vocabulary. exuberant. I looked at this and I was like, yes, tell me more about myself. Uh, This is like, this is stuff that you would see or that you would put up on a dating site. Like, I am looking for somebody that is optimistic, lives for adventure, spontaneous, exuberant. So I'm like, yes, sevens are cool people. Let's take it a step further. There's a few famous people that share the number seven like me. Here's one of them. George Clooney, (laughs) handsome species of a person right here. George Clooney. I share the number seven with George Clooney. Look at the second one. John F. Kennedy, one of the smoothest presidents I have ever seen in my life. John F. Kennedy was a number seven. Look at this next one. Miley Cyrus, now wait, wait for it, wait for it, wait for it. Check it out, before Wrecking Ball. Now, she... <laughs> Miley Cyrus put out a song called Wrecking Ball, and I was like, all right, this is the decline of the career. But she shares a number seven. I love Miley, but Miley before Wrecking Ball was a number seven. Here's the next one. I don't know how to feel about this one. <laughs> I've seen, I, I seen it, and it was like, I guess I'll take it. I, I don't know. And so hashtag winning. What uh, they did not tell me, though, as we took this personality test, they did not tell me that there was a dark side. They didn't tell me that it did not stop there, that on paper they were going to reveal the things that I don't tell people, my weaknesses. They didn't tell me that they were also going to expose the weak side of Maurice. Here's some of the dark traits of a number seven. Here's the tough thing. (laughs) Self-absorbed. Uncommitted. Oh, my goodness. Jesus, help us this morning. Compulsive. Here's the last one. Check this out. Indifferent to people's feelings. Like, like I don't relate to people's feelings. So on one hand, I live for adventure and I'm always looking for the next big thing. I'm optimistic. But if you come to me crying about your cat died, then all I can think about is how to get out of this situation and have fun. Like this is, why am I wired this way? Like this is tough. And i seen this and I was like, wow. One of the things that I thought I was good at, but I realized I wasn't after reading and following up on a seven was patience. I actually thought I had patience nailed down. I was like, you know what? Patience is something I actually am good at. But they have a term for the number seven that they use called the escapist. All we're looking like, don't put us in traffic, don't put us in closed spaces, don't take up too much of our time. We're always looking to get out of things. And so I thought I had patience nailed down, but as a further review, it looks like I don't. And so I looked at this and I was like, I am learning so much about me, but not only that, I seen this and thought, as a Christian. How does this relate to me? As as this relates to me as a Christian, how do I see myself in these things? And what I learned is that God has a lot to say about waiting. God has a lot to say about patience, and He also has a lot to say about waiting. Check this out on the screen, though. Isn't it true that we all do not like waiting? Like, none of us are excited about waiting. Like, like, if you think about it in your own life, from a small scale to a big scale, no one is excited about waiting, whether you're a kid or you're an adult. And some of us, we like to project it on kids. where like, well, you just sit still. Why, why are you being so impatient? That's us, too. And some of us can sit and know that we actually wrestle with being impatient and waiting. None of us like to wait. One of the things that I looked at is so many of us, if you look at it even on a small scale, maybe you've uh, had that hot pocket in the microwave, and you, you just cannot wait for it. So you take it out, it's really hot on the outside. Check this out. You take a bite, it's cold on the inside. How many of you keep chewing? Be honest, be honest. You just keep chewing. You're like, this is lukewarm and I'm gonna have a lukewarm microwaved food. It's like, ugh. I've done that with soup before. I was like, get it out and the bowl is hot. You're like, oh yes, this is perfect. You take a scoop. it's like, it's actually not all the way there. I taste a little bit of coldness there. Now just go ahead, keep scooping. Like, I can't wait. I'm too excited. How many of you have been in a waiting room before, right? Some of you have been in a waiting room before. I'm going to tell you a little bit something about me and my wife. We know that we are here for so many reasons. One of those reasons is to expose and to teach those around us about black culture. If you haven't realized, I'm a black man. And so we know that we have to sometimes we love showing people and teaching people that are around us about black culture. And there are some things in black culture that I want to expose you to a little bit this morning. In black culture, if you have not realized it or not, hair is a thing. <laughs> hair is a thing. You catch it, maybe you'll catch it later. Hair is a thing. When I moved to Colorado, I did not, first thing I did not look for was a house. The first thing I did not look for was the grocery store. The first thing I did not look for was to go on a hike. That was not my first thing to do. Um, the very first thing I did was where is the nearest barbershop? And I found myself driving 40 minutes to Aurora every two weeks. uh, Because uh, great clips, I love you, but not on this. Uh, Supercuts, I love you, not here though. Uh, And so I found myself going to Aurora to get my hair cut. A little bit more about black culture. If you are single in the room and you find yourself dating a sister, now hear what I'm saying, I didn't say sister, a sister, a black woman, and she invites you to go to the salon with her, I'm going to tell you, don't do it, brother. Don't, <laughs> don't, 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 do it, don't do it. I grew up with sisters, and they would literally come back after four hours of being in this line. Some of you are thinking, like, no way, no, seriously. Four hours of being at the salon, and they would come back mad. And so this whole thing about waiting, you may not relate to the barbershop or the salon, but all of us have found ourselves in a waiting room before. Maybe it was at the dentist, maybe it was at Disneyland and you're running after kids. It's supposed to be the happiest place on earth gosh, that's a bunch of waiting. That is the waiting room of, of life right there. And, and so Disneyland, uh, and so maybe you found yourself in m- many situations. Uh, the doctor's office is another one that uh, if you're a doctor in the room, I am on to you. I, I've gone to the doctor before, and um, I had to wait 30 minutes, and then they brought me back, and they're like, all right, we're going to take you to the examination room, which is wrong terminology because the examination room ends up being just another waiting room you got it you understand and and so but the thing is all of us find ourselves in a waiting room before and that's exactly where i want to pick up today where we find ourselves in today's text one of the places god has a lot to say about waiting is actually in hebrews 11. hebrews 11 verse 30 it says this right here it was by faith that the people of Israel marched around the city of Jericho for seven days, and the walls came crashing down. Now, let me give you 60 seconds of quick backstory on this. Some of you have heard this story before, but the city of Jericho was a huge city that some thought no one can get in and no one can get past. And so there's this people, the people of Israel were people who put their faith in God and decided to follow God whether you've been in church or maybe you have not been in church, there's this guy named Moses. He led the children of Israel out of the wilderness, but then he passed away. A guy named Joshua, who was his right-hand man, takes on the reins, and he leads the people into what God called the promised land, the land that he set aside for people who put their faith in him. And so he uh, fought a few wars, crossed the Jordan River, and now in Hebrews 11, when it talks about Jericho, they find themselves going up against this wall and this city that was well fortified. God decides to do something a little unordinary and he tells them for you to win this, I need you to obey me. He says, get up each day, blow a trumpet, walk around the city one time. Second day, blow a trumpet, get up, walk around the city one time. Third day, blow a trumpet, walk around the city. And they did this for seven days. And on the seventh day, they walked around for seven times. And on the seventh time, they blew a trumpet. All the walls came down. God does something miraculous because they responded in faith. But before the breakthrough, before the the miracle happens, before the awesomeness, before the promised land, we find them, let's take a few steps back, and we see that the children of Israel are right at the edge of a breakthrough. And God tells them to wait. Wait. They're warriors, they're ready to fight, but God instructs them to wait. And this morning, I think we have all find ourselves right here in this thing called the waiting room of life. And if we be honest, our faith in God will drive us to the waiting room of life. Our faith in God, no matter who you are, if you've been following God for two minutes or 20 years, your faith will drive you to the waiting room of life. There's a few things that I wanna pull from the waiting room and it's here that I wanna rest when we talk about the waiting room. Because all of us, not only was the common theme in Hebrews chapter 11, ordinary people who put their faith in God, but it was also people who had to wait on God. And like I said earlier, nobody likes to wait. We're going to talk about that place of the waiting room because I believe it's a few lessons this morning. I'm going to talk about two of them that God wants us to learn about the waiting room. And this will actually help me preach this. I want you to watch this commercial, then I'm going to come back and talk a little bit more about the waiting room. Dinner in 15 minutes. Alexa, order more dog food. Based on your order history, I found Taste of the Wild Dry Dog Food with Roasted Bison and Venison. It's $53.69 total. Would you like to buy it? Yes. Alexa, order trash liners. I found Glad Tall Trash Bags. Would you like to buy it? Yes. Alexa, what are your deals? I have several exclusive deals, including Lindor Chocolate Deluxe Gift Box. Would you like to buy it? Yes. Alexa, put on my getting it done playlist. Alexa, order Tide laundry detergent. Tide high efficiency laundry detergent, 170 ounces. It's $32 total. Alexa, what's the weather for tonight? Currently in Pasadena, it's 58 degrees with cloudy skies. Inside it is then. Dinner time, guys. Dinner's on the table. Oh, well, yeah. You want to be friends, I should have just ordered takeout. Alexa, play my relaxing playlist. And Alexa, order bath salts on Prime now. Mineral bath salts can be delivered between 8 p.m. and 10 p.m. tonight. Yes. i seen this commercial, and first thing, of course, comes to mind how awesome is this device called Alexa, Um, and and it's truly, I thought to myself that I only thought this would probably be for people who had a lot of money, but this is like, I can be my one-bedroom apartment and have Alexa and think I'm on top of the world, And, and so I thought that was really cool, but I actually want to dig a little bit deeper into that commercial, and just a little bit of what I believe God wants us to rest in this morning, and I want to talk to you this morning for a few moments. For those of you who you've come your first time this, this morning or you've come and your first time was on Easter and you thought you loved what we were doing. Uh, maybe this is you're, you're here it's only because you want to have a uh, copacetic marriage and your spouse continues to bring you back. And you're, maybe you're exploring this thing called Jesus and this thing called faith. And uh, maybe you're sitting here and you're wondering if your God wants me to follow him, if your God wants me to put my faith in him, and then he tells me to wait, if your God desires for me to, to live my life following after him, but actually I have to wait on him, sh- shouldn't he be jumping at the bit trying to to? To, to perform and do something to win me over? Shouldn't he be doing some things that are, are, are miraculous? Shouldn't he be performing like Alexa? And I, I want to consider, and I want you to think about this with me this morning. Could it be that the waiting room is breeding ground for true relationship? Could it be that God's desire for us while we are in the waiting room of life is to build true relationship. Because I can tell you from my own experience and what I've seen through scripture is that God doesn't want to be another Alexa in your life. He doesn't want to be another Siri in your life. He doesn't want to have a relationship with you that's another genie in a bottle. He doesn't want that type of relationship. And could it be that it's in the waiting room that he begins to shape and mold us to breed true relationship with him? I think that what God desires for us in the waiting room of life, one of those things is that he wants us to slowly shift from coming to him for who he is, or sh- slowly shift from coming to him for what he can do to who he is. I'm not only in it because of what you can do for me. And then now I'm saying this, in the, in the waiting room God helps us move closer to who he is versus what he can do. And I'm saying this because this is where I struggle. The person up front, the person on stage, the person with the quote-unquote title of pastor, this is where I wrestle. Because uh, if I'm putting my faith in you, by the time I'm finished with my prayer, I've prayed for grandpa so that he can be healed. And where are you? I've decided to be, to be married and I took a vow and I said, I'm gonna build my marriage on, on the foundation of Jesus and his principles and now my marriage is on the rocks and you're nowhere to be found. And you have me in this waiting room and this is where I wrestle because by the time I say amen, I'm looking for the miracle. But yet he continues to guide us to the waiting room. And it's in our lives that I think a lot of what God does is opposite of culture, it's opposite of society, it's opposite of what we see. And so for us, we're not going to purchase something that does not produce, right? We're not, we're not gonna get a phone that cannot work. We're not gonna purchase light bulbs that don't turn on. And if we take it a step further, I'm definitely not purchasing something that is slow. Like I don't, I don't want a phone that has dial-up internet, like that, that'll be something that I just will not do. And And sometimes we can transfer that over to our relationship with God. And if you cannot produce, then I'm looking to leave the waiting room. The Bible says that God is not only the author of our faith. He's not only the one that initiates and has given us faith. But the Bible says that he is also the perfecter of our faith. And I wonder, could it be that it's in the waiting room that God does his perfecting? Is it in the waiting room that God does his molding? I think it's in the waiting room from the in-between, from you giving me a promise, but I haven't yet obtained it yet. In that in-between phase, I believe it's where God does the most work. I believe it's there that he begins to shape us and mold us and slowly move us from what he can do to who he is. Because nobody wants to be in a relationship That only I'm in it for what you can do for me. At the core of all of us, don't we want to be in a relationship and people to love us for us? Like flaws and all, no matter how jacked up I am, you still will love me no matter how messed up I am. Like you'll still love me for me. And notice my language there that I think that it's him slowly shifting us to pointing to him for who he is. Because I think that we can look to God for what you can do for me. And I think it's in the waiting room that he begins to slowly shift our perspective. I I think it's a, a false narrative to say that people totally go from this place to jumping all the way over here to saying, I'm here for who you are, and I trust you and believe you because of who you are. Some of us, we still want him to do something. And I think it's in the waiting room that God slowly shifts us and begins to point us in the right direction of I'm here and I love you for who you are and I know that you can work this out, but I'm here because I love you for who you are. And sometimes we we, we do a U-turn, so sometimes we're still looking in the wrong direction, but it's in the waiting room that God continues to realign us. And as we think about that thought of the waiting room, Jim last week talked about doubt. I think it's in the waiting room that we begin to wrestle with doubt. Some of you are here this morning and you are reaching for that door. You are ready to leave the waiting room. You are ready to walk out because you've been wrestling and trust me, as a person, who does this by vocation and a person of faith, I find myself reaching for the door. I'm really much done. I can't, this is too much. Time and time after again, you haven't answered a prayer. You haven't answered a prayer. I'm reaching for the door. And maybe that's you this morning. I talked to somebody after the first service and they said, you know, Maurice, I've actually walked out of the waiting room a few times. And I thought to myself, how powerful is that? Because me too, I found myself also walking out of the waiting room when I can't take it, when I need to fix things on my own, when marching around is not enough. Have you ever been in a place where you're moving but you don't see nothing happening? You've checked all the boxes, you've done the prayer, you've done the serving, you've done the getting the small group and still nothing's taking place. You've tried to do the right thing and yet still you find yourself in a place We find ourselves in a place of reaching for the door to walk out of the waiting room and take on life and try to do things on our own. And I want to tell you this morning and encourage you, don't leave just yet. And if you have left, I encourage you and let you know the door is wide open and God is saying, come on back in. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be roses and daisies. But it's here that God will perfect our faith in Him. And I believe that one of the things that I love about this is that we look to God and we find and we're we're searching for what it is that He can do. And I believe, number one, it's in the waiting room that He perfects our faith and that He moves us and slowly but shortly from what He can do to who He is. And secondly, I believe that God points us to his witnesses. I want to read this passage for you real quickly. This is Hebrews chapter 12. This is right after Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 is a passage where it lists all the names of people, ordinary people who put their faith in God. And then right after that, verse 12 says this. Since we have such a huge crowd of witnesses, let us strip off anything that slows us down or holds us back. And especially those sins that wrap themselves so tightly around our feet and trip us up. Let us run with patience the particular race that God has set before us. This is right after listing tons of people, men and women, who had to wait on God. And the writer points us to look at the witnesses around us. I want to look at that for a second because a working definition real quickly is a witness is somebody who sees something. These people have seen God work, and in our own lives, that's who people that we gravitate to, they've finished the race. They've done what they have had to do. They've done all that they had to do. They've been in the same scenario that I've been in. When when I was a young married person, I looked to people who say, yeah, I've been married for 30 years, 40 years. I want to sit and talk with you. How did you do that? What was the low seasons? How did you continue to keep this going after so many years? We look to people who have finished the race. If If I'm a person who wants to build muscle, I look to someone who has muscle. And I look to people who have done what I'm looking to do. And so God has eyewitnesses. And I believe he's saying, look to the people who have seen me work. While you're in the waiting room of life, look to the people who have been in the same situation you've been in. But not only is a witness a person who sees something, a witness is a person who also says something. And I wonder, what would the witnesses who also were in the waiting room say to us? While we're in the position that they were once in, What would Noah say to us who had to wait on God, a guy who had to wait on God for 100 plus years? What would Sarah say to us, a a woman who could not have children and God continued to say, hang in there, I'm gonna give you a child, and she had to wait all the way into her old age to have a child, but she waited. And I wonder, as we are sitting there in this thing called the waiting room of life, we're getting tired of waiting, if we be honest. God, I, I need you to work this out and you continue to have me wait. I think, and I want you to consider this with me, that God would point us to his witnesses. And there's a few things that I think a few witnesses would say to us this morning as we were reaching for the door to leave. For some of us who have already left the waiting room, this has gotten too much to wait on God. I think a witness, I think David would tell us this wait for the Lord be strong and let your heart take courage again I say wait for the Lord David who was in a young age said you're going to be king someday got all excited and then was told to go back and shepherd sheep and pick up dung from cows This is David who had to wait years and years for God to work in his life while being chased and while having to face uh, the, the point of death, all these things, and had to wait on God. And this is his encouragement to us. I think Isaiah would tell us, They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is Isaiah who got a promise from God. Watch this. Here's the kicker and never saw it happened. Yep, I want you to have faith. I want you to hang in there and yet I still did not see the promise happen. But God had the promise happen after he had passed away. But Isaiah's encouragement to us as he is preaching to people who've never turned to God He's saying, wait on the Lord. I think Paul, as we are in the waiting room, would tell us these words right here. This is Paul who had to face prison. This is Paul who was in shackles. This is Paul who actually hated Christians at one point in time. And he is saying, I am sure that God who began the good work within you will keep right on helping you grow in His grace until His task within you is finally finished on that day when Jesus Christ returns. The God we serve does not start to stop, but the God we serve starts to finish. And He says, until the task is done, I am going to provide, I am going to be there for you and I believe as we're in the waiting room, as we're looking to God, as we're waiting on what's going to happen out of this, I think God's words to us and my encouragement to all of us this morning, myself included, would be as you consider Jesus, consider his witnesses too. Not in a sense that they're both uh, have a deity power. No, not that they're both God-like, But I believe that as we consider the stories of His witnesses, it will reinforce our faith in Jesus. As we consider Jesus this morning, consider His witnesses too. Some of you are right there in that waiting room. Some of you are saying, actually, I'm not in the waiting room at all. Well, inevitably, you will be. And my encouragement to all of us this morning And as you are contemplating, as you're wrestling with doubt, as you're sitting there and you're thinking, I am done with this. I've been marching around the city way longer than seven days. I've been marching around. I've been trying to hold on to faith for this high school student that my teenager and it seems like they're continuing to drift away. The more and more I check the boxes, the more and more I'm hanging in there, the more and more I'm trying to fix my marriage. I've been circling this thing called marriage time and time again, but yet I do not see God working. I've been circling around family members who continue to just kind of backstab me. They continue to kind of have this thing that I'm the black sheep and no one likes me. And I've been circling around trying to build friendships. I've been circling around and around and I do not see it happening. And I'm at the point where I am leaving the waiting room. As you consider Jesus, consider his witnesses. You are not alone and they have been where you've been. Let the stories of Hebrews 11 encourage you. Let the stories of Hebrews 11 show you that real people have gone through what I've gone through and they finished the race there is another side there is a breakthrough there is walls coming down there is celebration there is your child coming home there is this marriage turning around there is another side if we wait and again I say wait on the Lord this morning as you consider Jesus consider his witnesses too.